Hello, welcome to the Lansing Area Church of Christ's weekly message podcast. If you'd like to learn more about LACC, please visit us online at lansingchurch.org. This week, Tom Wilson visited Lansing to share a message called Three Big Questions. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now. I don't know if you've ever uh, stopped to think about that. The war in Ukraine, the war in Israel, all kinds of social stuff in the United States. Uh, There's never been a time in history, though, where there hasn't been a lot of stuff going on in the world. Some good, a lot of times bad, and some of it very disturbing. And it leads people to either harden their feelings like there is absolutely no way there can be a God because why would he allow all this chaos to go on in the world? Maybe some of you have thought that at one time in your life or another. But then it does something else to other people and they ask themselves some questions like, there's got to be a different way. This can't be right. How do we get ourselves out of this? And it leads them to these three big questions, which is the title of the lesson. The first one is, is there a God? Uh, I don't know how many of you wrestled with this. I didn't really. When I grew up, I grew up in a semi-religious home. Uh, I was introduced to church at a very young age, and throughout my uh, 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 elementary and teen years, we were semi-committed at various times going to church, but it was always ingrained in my head from early on, there is a God, uh, there's his son Jesus who died for us, but that's about all the lessons I got. It didn't necessarily apply to me living a different way or a certain way, but I didn't really doubt the existence of God. Many people do. In fact, Most of the people in that part of the world that we go to, these Baltic countries, uh, as well as Russia and uh, Belarus and uh, the Scandinavian countries, they do not grow up with that baseline at all. They grow up in a very atheistic world where they, at birth, pretty much doubt the existence of God, write him off, or at best are agnostic where maybe there's some force out there or there's something, but it has no relevance to their daily life. This is one question. Then, if you get past that hurdle, then people start to ask, who is this God? Like, if there is a God, who is he or she, as some people would say, or who is it, what is it all about, Uh, they start asking these questions. Many of us have asked that as we grew up, even in a religious home. We start to ask ourselves, who is this God? And then finally, where do I find him? Can he be found? He seems so out there. You guys can relate to this. Sometimes even as Christians, for a good long time, God can seem kind of out there, aloof, Uh, It's not his fault, it's usually our fault, because we haven't spent the time and wrestled in prayer and spent uh, some time studying the word to have this deeper connection with God throughout our lives. It's not just something we do to become a Christian, but it's something that we do every day of our lives to continue walking with him throughout this life. 
But sometimes even you and I as older Christians, we can get a little lost in our ways and ask ourselves, where, where is this God? I've given my life to him. I'm not seeing the blessings of that or the fruit of that. Where is he and how do I find him? And that's what we're going to address today. Amen? First of all, is there a God? Back in the, uh, I think the 70s, there was an author, scholar, Josh McDowell, wrote several books, uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, More Evidence That Demands a Verdict, Something Else That Demands a Verdict, All About Evidences. He's, he's actually a great writer and a good apologist. Uh, he actually worked right at Michigan State University at one time. Uh, but he had in one of his books this little conglomerate of letters here, and uh, he used this as an example that an atheist would look at that and they would say, God is nowhere. He's just nowhere to be found. There's no evidence of him at all. God is nowhere. But with people that seek and people that try to figure out who this God is and then eventually come to faith, they see those letters as God is now here. Clearly God is here. He's all around us. We see him. We see him in creation. We see him in our own lives. We see him in other people. We see him in so many different ways. And the evidence is there if any of us would care to take a look at it. Some of you that are visiting today that are kind of seeking God, this is a great lesson for you to deepen your faith and come to a deeper understanding of who this God is. Let's turn to Psalm 19. In this passage in Psalm 19, it speaks of a couple things on how we can know if there is a God. Let's start in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language that their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, while it is like a bridegroom coming forth from its pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run its course. It rises at one end of the heavens, makes its circuit to the others. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Psalmist speaks about creation as a great testimony to the existence of God. You could turn to Romans chapter 1, verses 20 and 25, and Paul says many of these very same things, that it should be obvious that there is a God just by taking a glimpse at creation. From the vast universe to terra firma that we live and walk on right here, Lori and I were scuba divers for much of our lives. We actually had a diving business at one time in Florida, and we would take people underwater. It's kind of interesting because we still like to take people underwater. <laughs> Do you understand that? Did you catch that? Dan, Dan Williams is here. Dan's a little slow. Do I need to explain that, Dan? You got it? Okay, good. But it's amazing what most people never see up close and personal, Lori and I have been able to experience, that in an area no bigger than the size of this podium right here, 
There is so much life and creation and diversity from the universe to something as small as that to microbiology. All of these things are testimony to the existence of God if somebody would just stop and pause, drop their preconceived ideas, and take an honest look at this world that they live in, they would see that God has left evidence that he is alive and that he exists. That alone does not necessarily lead somebody to become a Christian. That does lead people to appreciate creation and then... Uh, like one of Lori's sisters, I won't mention her name or where she lives or anything about her, but uh, she believes in creation, but that is it. Creation is nature. Creation is things, the forest, the mountains, and things of that nature. And you could get that if that's all you focused in on, on this first part of Psalm 19. But then the second part, speaks of something called special revelation. This just isn't casually observed. This is something that either has to be passed on to us or that we make an effort to obtain on our own, but then God leads us to discover things. Look in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. And then we'll just skip down to verse 14 for the sake of time. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This second part of the psalm speaks about things that are acquired by understanding God's uh, uh, perfect law, his statutes, his precepts, his commands, his ordinances, and things of that nature. This is why none of us became a Christian without some kind of contact with the Word of God. Many people have these feelings like, oh, I want to give my life to God. Great, but how are you going to do that? Creation doesn't tell you how to do that. Only God's Word tells you how to do that. And so that's why we find, even in this community of Lansing and East Lansing, a lot of people are very devout and very religious, but when we look at how they became a Christian, we find out that that conversion is not actually in the Bible. It was something that was passed on along the way or something they assume doesn't really matter as long as I identify with God. Uh, you can go through the Lansing phone book. I don't think they have phone books anymore, are there? Are there? Well, talk to somebody like my age, and uh, maybe they've got an old phone book laying around. I know Gary's got an old phone book somewhere. <laughs> Gary created the phone book. No, he didn't really. <laughs> I remember when uh, it was 1981, 
Lori's grandfather died, and a week later, my grandfather died. And over that couple-month period, it left us with these questions like, is there a God? I believe that there was. Who is God? Thought I knew, but I didn't really. And where do I find him? We were thinking about those three questions when all of this stuff happened. We didn't know where to turn, except about six months before that, a woman had reached out to us in Tampa, Florida, invited us to church. We blew her off for six months, and she asked fairly regularly. But when all of this stuff started to unfold in our personal lives and left us on shaky ground with a lot of questions, she was the first person that we called. We went to church, and that was great. But the thing that changed our life was not just being in church in the fellowship, but opening up the Bible with another couple, and they were going through step by step the verses about how to become a Christian, how to have a relationship with God, and they were showing us how to study the Bible on our own so that we weren't totally dependent on somebody just spoon-feeding it to us, We could actually find out how to learn things on our own. And it was during that little period of time that got us to a point where we were ready to make Jesus the Lord of our lives, get baptized, which happened about two months later. But we wouldn't have known that had we not spent time in the Word, which even more reinforced God's existence and God's desire to be involved in all of our lives. If as older Christians we stop reading the Bible and start discovering stop discovering things along the way, it's not it's not impossible to think about reverting back to the way that you used to be. Lori and I have seen this all over the place. We do this Uh, ministry for the Michigan churches, and we've shepherded other churches for many, many years, and it's amazing how many older Christians are in bad shape spiritually because as we get down into the bottom of what's going on in their lives, sure there's sin and sure there's this stuff, but a lot of them, they don't pray much anymore and they don't read the Bible much anymore and they've just stagnated themselves, where now all of a sudden God is more of a habit than somebody that is real. Amen? Secondly, who is this God? Let's turn to Acts chapter 17. You're still awake? Paying attention? There's a quiz. If you don't pass the quiz, Josh said, Josh said you can't come back next week. So, <laughs> Where is this God? How do we find him? Can he be found? All of us know the answer to that. We say absolutely yes, because we found him. There's not a one of us, though, that found God entirely on our own. God always intervened. God always sets another human being 
in our path to help us have this personal connection with God. I suppose, in theory, if you were stranded on a deserted island and a Bible just happened to wash up on shore, you could figure it out on your own at some point. But none of us live on deserted islands, and we have access to the Bible not only in print, but all this electronic mumbo-jumbo stuff as well. Uh, and that works as well as paper Bibles. Uh, I, I've come to believe that over the years. At first, I didn't think that that was the Holy Bible. It was a Bible, but not, anyway, I've gotten off track. Uh, Paul, greatest missionary that we read about in all the scriptures, went from place to place and started churches and interacted with people on various levels. Some just heathens, unchurched, unreligious, some pagan having some statue or idol that they bowed down to. Many of them were Jews or converts to Judaism. But then when he was in Athens, he came across this group of people called the Areopagus, and uh, he made some observations that he had, as he had a chance to share his faith with them. Let's pick this story up in verse 23. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. This was a bold move on Paul's part, but he did it in a very respectful way. He gave credit where credit was due. These people obviously knew there was something beyond just themselves, and they had studied philosophy and religion and they had this garden where all these things were there and then if that weren't enough because it wasn't they even put up one other altar and it just said to an unknown god all these other objects of worship were not enough to fulfill them inside they still felt like something was missing this is how some of us, even though we were religious and devout as we were growing up, we knew something was missing, and it wasn't until we studied our Bibles and found out the plan of salvation as it's really taught in the Scriptures and the connection of being with God, God being in us through His Spirit, the answers to what was really missing. But Paul gave them credit and acknowledge that they are very religious, but they were still unbelievably ignorant as far as who this real God is. Amen? He said, I'm going to proclaim them to you. Verse 24, Then God, or, or the God who made the world and everything in it, is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands, and he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man, 
He made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him, perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move, uh, live and, move and have our being. As some of uh, your own poets have said, we are his offspring. He's telling him, God can be found if you want to find him. In fact, you're in the right place at the right time that if you would seek him just a little bit, reach out to him, you'll find him. It takes humility and it takes a step of faith because you don't know really what all this entails. But all of us that are disciples, we, we had to do that at some point in our lives. Maybe it was just a little while ago or maybe it was many, many years ago. But God can be found if we'll seek him. <clears throat> I think a lot of people don't find God because, I'll just be honest, they're lazy. They're lazy and they like other things way too much. But if they really knew this God, they'd be a whole lot more aggressive with him. And they would start to see these other things that partially satisfy them as not all that big a deal anymore because of what I get from a relationship with God. This is what God wants to give all of us. So if you're in this space right now where you know about God, you're coming to church, maybe you're studying the Bible a little bit, uh, I want to encourage you to make the effort. It's not always easy. Sometimes when we see things about ourselves, it's pretty challenging to admit that there's some stuff in my life that actually has to change. This is even true for those of us that are already disciples. This is why we keep studying the Bible to realize, hey, you're slipping. There's some stuff in your life that I would like to see change. Not I, me, I, God. You know what I'm saying there. But I think if I knew what God knew, I would probably want that for you as well. That was confusing, wasn't it? All right, yeah, definitely not God. There's a theme as you study out uh, the parables, many of the Proverbs, is that God is a little bit mysterious. God's a little bit aloof, and he doesn't just automatically reveal himself to everybody. He actually wants to see us take some initiative. He doesn't impose his will upon us. We can trash our lives as much as we want to trash them, and he won't do a thing about it. He'll let you do that if that's what you want. But sometimes it's doing that that gets you to realize, I have trashed my life and I need something else. But God wants all of us to always make an effort. Amen? Matthew chapter 7. Well, good. 
Where do I find this God? He can be found. We know a little bit about who he is. We know that he exists. But where do I find this God? Yep. Amen. (laughs) But we see him in life as well. Early on in Jesus' ministry, he came and he delivered probably the greatest sermon ever recorded, uh, certainly the greatest sermon ever recorded in the scriptures, and that's the Sermon on the Mount. His introduction to Christianity 101. And as he goes through this, he says so many things that have people's attention. He's convicting people. He's encouraging people. He's explaining things to people. And then towards the end of this sermon in chapter 7, he has this little section in here. Verse 7, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. I know where Joel lives, and I can tell you where he lives, but if I didn't know where Joel would live, I could ask somebody, do you have Joel's address? And they'd say, yeah, here it is. And that would be helpful, right? And then I could plug it into, nowadays, a GPS. Back in the old days, gray hairs, no hairs. Uh, we had to look this stuff up on maps if addresses were even on maps back in those days. But I could plug it in, and I could kind of seek out where Joel lives and end up in the general area. And now, with modern technology, I'd find his house, and his house numbers would match what's on my GPS. And then if I went up to the door, though, and knocked to come in and visit Joel, now that's totally up to him. I can do all of that, but I may not get entrance into Joel's house. You know what I'm saying? I've never, so far, my track record with Joel is relatively good. Every time I've gone to his house, he's let me in. And uh, I appreciate that, bro. I'm sure that was best nudging. Please, let Let the guy in. He's probably got something to say to you. Uh, I don't know. Uh, There's never a mystery with God, though. We can ask, we can seek, and we can knock, and God says, I will open the door. You can come in. It is a promise that anybody that wants to find God can find God, and when they come to his doorstep, figuratively and literally, He will let us in. It's an amazing promise, isn't it? This knocking thing is throughout the Bible. Early in uh, the, the Gospels, Jesus tells a story about someone knocking to get in. It was night, and they said, nope, the door's already closed. Go away. I don't even know who you are. Get out of here. Which is a warning that we can't just put God off and expect to knock at the last minute and be welcomed in. 
Now, I believe in deathbed conversions. I've witnessed some deathbed conversions. Kathy Moots's mother down in Detroit, she was a feisty little woman that was hot-tempered at times. And uh, when we were leading the church in Detroit, I'd say some things from the pulpit, just the Bible, and she'd come down because it didn't agree with what her beliefs were. And she'd be mad as a hornet. I could see her walking right down that center aisle. And she's walking up to me. She stands about this high or stood about that high on me. And one time she came up and started poking me in the chest. And I I just started laughing. I probably shouldn't have laughed, but this little, I'm so mad at you about what you just said. I said, "I, I know you are. I know you are. And, uh... Anyway, make a long story short, she was close to death in the hospital. Death was approaching, and she had talked to Kathy about studying the Bible with her. Kathy called Lori late one night and said, what do I do? What do I do? Lori said, just keep it simple. Get to the basics of conversion, and that's all you need to focus on right now. And... Her heart was moved, and we went down to the hospital to be with her. She was in tears. She apologized for being so stubborn and prideful over all these years. And then uh, that was on a Saturday. We baptized her in the hospital, cranked her up on a hoist in the room, and then lowered her down into the water. We had to fight with the hospital, but they were not going to win. We won. Uh, Baptized her, and then the very next day, as she was listening to the sermon on, on Zoom or Facebook Live or whatever it was, she passed away the very next day. And she was every bit as a disciple as anybody that was that's walked with God for 40, 50 years. It was amazing. But don't count on that. (laughs) Don't put them off forever. There's a lot of people that I've known over the years that tried to do that. I'm just not ready. I'll do it later. And some of them ended up dying before later ever came. We still have to make this effort. In Revelation chapter 3, there's another story about knocking that's so often misinterpreted as how to become a Christian. As intelligent as this Josh McDowell is and as insightful as he is, he has a little thing in there about this is how you pray Jesus into your heart, which we do read about people praying and asking God, for his presence in their life, but there's nobody yet that ever prayed Jesus into their heart in the Bible to become a Christian. And uh, this is really a passage more about people that had walked with God for a good long time, and now they're lukewarm or cold or at best just drifting from God. And God is saying, here I am, I'm ready, I'm knocking on your door, if you open your heart, I will come in. 
This is a passage not about how to become a Christian, but for those of us that may find ourselves even right now, and I'm guessing I don't know anything personally about anybody in this room. Well, I know a lot of things personally, but I don't know where you're at right now. But this is especially true for those of us that have already walked with God, have now drifted from God, and God is saying, I'm I'm here knocking. Would you please open your heart, and I will come in just like I did in the very beginning. It's a story and a passage about repentance. And that leads us to our last little thing here. This is a young man named Andres. I think he was 20 years old. This happened just about three or four weeks ago. We were on, uh, on our trip to Riga, Latvia, and uh, he, this, this young man was baptized in the Baltic Sea right after church. The wind was blowing about 30 miles an hour. The waves were ripping. They were way bigger than what they looked like in that picture. And uh, I'm glad I wasn't doing the baptizing that day. There's some other brothers, my, always, my, my feeling has always been, if you catch them, you have to clean them. If you're a fisherman, you know what I'm talking about. And so they, they wandered out into the Baltic Sea, like way offshore, because the Baltic Sea is unbelievably shallow, and they finally, uh, finally got them under. This young man grew up in Riga, Latvia, and he was a self-confirmed atheist. That's what was passed on to him when he was a young man. And then somewhere, certain things started to happen, and he started to ask, is there a God? The very question that we started with. And then he got online, got on YouTube, and he stumbled across the video about how to find God. I'm not saying this is the best method. Uh, even though everything on the internet is true, uh, it's not necessarily true. But he stumbled across this video and it said, pray this prayer five days in a row and you'll find God. And so he prayed this prayer. God, if you're there, please show yourself to me. He prayed that for five days in a row He'd never prayed in his entire life up to this point. And then nothing happened. It was about two days after that, he'd given it up. He thought, well, I tried. I guess there really isn't a God. And then he's at this party in a neighborhood, and two young disciples just happened to be there, and they wandered over to the party. I'm not sure why, but God used it. Uh, They met this guy. And they brought him back to their place, and he crashed on the couch and said, we're going to church tomorrow. Do you want to come with us? And he thought, yeah, why not? And so he got to church. He saw a bunch of believers in Riga, Latvia, of all different backgrounds, all these different religion or all these different nations that were there. He heard a message from the Bible. I don't know what the message was. But he all of a sudden lit up and decided, I want to learn more. And so over a two-week period, these guys studied with him. They had to do a lot of background stuff because he didn't know anything about God at all. But then two weeks later, which was this day, just three weeks ago, 
he was baptized in the Baltic Sea, and Andres is your brother in Christ. It's amazing. He asked, he sought, and he knocked, and the door was opened, and he came in. This is what's playing out in your city and on your campuses every single day of our lives. We're just unaware of it many times. And maybe it's God wanting to put us, that special person, in another person's path that gets their attention, who have been asking these questions already, and you now become the connection for them to really find who this God is. We won't spend any time on this, but this is a bonus question for extra credit. Once you find God, we all need to be asking, so what does he want from me? And I might add the word now. Because what he wanted from you in the beginning may not necessarily be the same thing as what God wants from you now. As we grow and mature, we have our ups and our downs, our successes and our failures. God is shaping and bending and molding our character to prepare us for what he wants us to do next. I think this is another way that older disciples stay fresh and kind of on the edge spiritually by asking and studying this question, what does God want from me now? So, uh, I'm almost 69. I'm tired now. My throat's a little sore. I'm going to take one more sip, and then I'm going to go sit down by my wife and rest. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Lansing Area Church of Christ. While we're happy to share this message via podcast, we'd love to pray and worship with you in person. To learn more about our services or to connect with us, please visit us at lansingchurch.org. Have a great week and go with God.